bars and hoops, Lamont swoops, back alley cats, the back door cuts with alley oops, posting up, you on block or mic and booth, then kick it out to one who likes to shoot, oh yeah, said we merging them, got 50 with a surgeon, and some throwbacks like Snoop Dogg, with Magic Irvin's and some more in like Master P and Dr. Irvin playing on how about maybe a little Wayne speaking on bird back then, bars and hoops y'all, we hitting up all courts, but now with the sports talk, next we talk all sports, back to it. Got Jada and Jamal Croft, haters get crossed out, crossed up across all actual facts. Points of view that you've never seen from your favorite artists, like talking about Jeffrey Green or Gerald Wallace. Whoever's on your favorite team, El Amino, the verses still be great on the name for BNH. Drake's opinion on spates, one synopsis of Blake, tip on Horford's fate. The facts we giving them straight, the truth they shitting on tape. Who sports snakes for a stake, so true or you can debate on who you really done rate. Come through it, really be great. The true the fat like a state. AAM on Prime 8, please remember. Bars and hoops, the center of the hood. Make it part of your agenda. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bars and hoops. Steals the Great, episode 14. It's going to be a pretty deep agenda today, man. You know, we're going to talk about a lot of, of, of happenings in the world of sports and entertainment. There's been a lot of interesting things going on, you know, both on and off the court, you know, both in and out of the mic booth <laughs> in the world of hip-hop. You know, some pretty interesting things, man. So we're going to touch on that today. You know, but I'm definitely going to start the agenda off with, um, you know, the NBA trade deadline and the moves, the moves that didn't happen, the moves that did happen. Did somebody make themselves significantly better? Well, that's that's up for debate, you know, so let's 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 get to it. You know, we're going to start out with some of the deals that did happen that actually did go down, you know, um, leading the list. We already spoke about, you know, the New Orleans Sacramento Kings heist, you know, for DeMarcus Cousins in New Orleans. As for now, you know, after two games of those two guys playing together, doesn't really look like it made much of a difference. You know what I mean? And the loser stigma for for Cousins would, would, you know, probably stick around for a little bit until things change. But, you know, the Pelicans have a long way to go. They have to really fill that roster up to kind of cater to the talents of both DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, you know what I mean? I do think that it can work, but they have to have the right pieces in place for it to work because both of those guys are definitely young superstars in this league and, and they're actually top five in their positions at power forward and at center. So I don't think that they'll have problems much much longer. I mean, maybe they may have to change their philosophy on offense or, or whatever, I don't know. But as of now, you know, the trade isn't working. It's only two games in, so we could be overreacting, but the Kings did win a game after that, after that trade happened. So, you know, that speaks volumes to, you know, Boogie Cousins as a whole. But, again, it's too early to judge. I won't judge. I'm going to give it some time, let the guys mesh, get comfortable with Boogie Cousins, and, you know, we'll see what happens moving down the line. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I think that's out of the picture. It's probably better for them not to make it this year. You know what I mean? Get 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 those draft picks, you know, build around those two core players. And, you know, another year or two, we could be talking about the Pelicans really making a run in the Western Conference. Another deal that happened, you know, pre-trade deadline. 
was a deal between the Chicago Bulls and Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, the Chicago Bulls sent Todd Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a 2018 second round pick to Oklahoma City for Anthony Morrow, Cameron Payne, and Jeffrey Laverne. Now, does this deal make the Bulls better? No, not by any chance. Doesn't make the Bulls any better. I don't, I don't see the logic in this, this deal unless they probably figured that Taj Gibson would probably walk on Chicago to probably get more money. Doug McDermott was a definitely a, a up and coming star. Had he gotten more minutes and playing time, I don't know. I, I really don't think that it was a good move on Chicago's part. But for Oklahoma City, this is a good move because Taj Gibson is definitely a credible scorer. You know, I think that he'll help their front line. You know, it gives Russell Westbrook another option to pass to on offense. He's a finisher, he's a rebounder, and he plays defense. Doug McDermott, we all seen what he can do in college. He showed flashes of it in the NBA, and I think that he'll just benefit by playing with a guard like Russell Westbrook, who puts so much pressure on the defense to collapse whenever he goes to the hole. Doug McDermott can run to a spot, spot up, and hit the open jump shot. And I do expect, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder to make a move, you know, going into the playoffs and possibly give somebody a little scare in the first round, maybe second round, who knows? I think that they definitely upgraded their team with this deal. And, um, you know, it's yet to be seen, you know, how far they can go on Russell Westbrook's shoulders. But, you know, I give the Oklahoma City Thunder an A, A-plus on this deal. And I give the Chicago Bulls a C for this deal because I don't see where they got anything beneficial to help their team in the near future. A 20, 2018 second-round pick was given up for Anthony Morrow, Cameron Payne, Jeffrey Levine. Who who knows if this guy's even going to play the Levine guy. But Cameron Payne, he's okay. You know, I think that he can fill in and help you at the point guard position. But you stack that guard right now. You have a bunch of point guards. So this move really is a head-scratcher. Anthony Morrow's a shooter, but you have Jimmy Butler there. You know, I, I really don't know what the Bulls are doing. It's looking like they're setting up for, you know, uh, rebuild in Chicago. I think that Jimmy Butler will probably be moved, you know, during the summer to a destination like Boston or or whoever would need his services. I think that he's going to be on the move come off season. Next on the list, and this trade right here was a, a good trade between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Houston Rockets. The Los Angeles Lakers traded. Lou Williams to Houston for a 2017 first round pick and Corey Brewer. And mind you, that first round pick isn't protected. That was a great deal and that was a shrewd deal by the neophyte, the rookie as executive, Magic Johnson. And I'll get more to Magic Johnson's, you know, tenure and a lot of things that have been circulating around. Magic actually taking over the Lakers, president of basketball operations. Uh, position a little bit later in the podcast, but I give the Lakers an A plus on that move as well. You know, you are you you're not going anywhere this season. Lou Williams was one of your best assets, and you were able to basically flip him for a 2017 first round pick in this year's draft, which gives you 
two first-round picks in this year's draft. You're definitely getting a lottery pick, and you have a middle-of-the-pack pick where you can add some more talent to that young core of players that you do have in Los Angeles. And you also added a defensive veteran in Corey Brewer. You know, I think that that was a great move. Um, on Houston's end, this was an excellent move for them as well. I give them an A-plus for this move as well because we all know what Lou Williams can do um, off the bench as a shooting guard. He's done it his whole career in Philly, showed flashes in Atlanta, came to L.A., and he's just been consistent along the way. And I think his first game, he put up about 25 points for the Rockets in that system under Mike D'Antoni. And I think that he's going to be a perfect fit in that system. And Houston is definitely poised to make a run in the playoffs, man. That's going to be a scary team, man. This is going to be a really interesting postseason come June, May. You know, a lot of teams are gearing up. And Houston looks like they're putting themselves in position to really make a run. You know, even though it's going to be a tall task to beat, you know, a Golden State Warriors team as currently constructed. But Houston looks like they'll make it interesting. With James Harden playing the way that he's playing, you know, anything is possible. And they're putting some nice pieces around him to complement his game. So it remains to be seen, you know, what's going to happen you know, come playoff time, but I expect the Houston Rockets to make some noise, and their record speaks for itself. They have a pretty good record thus far this season. Next trade on the list. The Brooklyn Nets trade Boron Bogdanovich and Chris McCullough to the Washington Wizards for Andrew Nicholson, Marcus Thornton, and the 2017 lottery-protected first-round pick. Well, what can I say? I mean, Brooklyn, they had to do something because, you know, they basically gave up all of their trade, I mean, all of their first-round picks for the next few years to Boston, which is turning out to be a lottery-bound pick for the Boston Celtics. So the rich are going to get richer this season. So Brooklyn had to do something to get some sort of asset back to where they can start rebuilding because they're clearly in rebuild mode. They didn't get a chance to uh, uh, move, you know, Brook Lopez before the trade deadline, but come next season, I don't think that Lopez will be playing here in Brooklyn. He'll be somewhere else where services are needed, and um, Brooklyn is going to be in a clear rebuild. Now, the pieces that they got back to me is not going to help them at all. Andrew Nicholson, journeyman, Marcus Thornton, he's a he's a decent shooter, decent guard you can use as a, as a good piece on a good team, you know, but it's, it's really not going to help improve their play this season. And they're definitely going to be a lottery bound, bound pick. Definitely top five. And, you know, but they're not going to have that, uh, that lottery pick because Boston owns it, which is sad. So they'll just have to settle for this lottery protected pick that they got from Washington, which would probably be somewhere in the teens, 15, 16, 17. But, hey, you got to start somewhere, right? So Brooklyn... I give you an E for effort. <laughs> nah, let me stop. Brooklyn, I give you a C. You know, you, you tried. I give you a C. You didn't really lose much, even though Bogdanovich was one of your leading scorers. He was definitely a shooter. But um, you had to break some eggs to make an omelet, and I give you a C for making that effort to try to get better. Sean Marks, I think, is going to do a great job in Brooklyn. Right now, he has to right all of the wrongs that were done before he even got there. And you got to give that team some time because, you know, right now, 
It's not looking good for him. It probably won't look good for him for a few years, but it's a start, right? Now, for the Wizards, this was a great deal for them because now they added more depth to their bench, especially at that small forward position. And he's an outside threat, an outside shooter. You need shooters when it comes down to the playoffs because defense gets tighter. You know, it's not that many easy baskets in the playoffs, and you got to be able to knock down open shots. And I think that Bogdanovich would help their bench and their outside shooting, you know, in the playoffs because clearly the Wizards are on their way to making the playoffs. You know, they're on a run right now. They're hot. John Wall is playing out of his mind. Otto Porter Jr. is playing out of his mind. You know, Bradley Bill has figured it out on how to work with John Wall in the backcourt. And it looks like, you know, the future is bright for the Washington Wizards, you know, and uh, Scott Brooks in his first year with the Wizards. So it remains to be seen, you know, what happens in the playoffs with this team. But as far as this trade goes, I give the Wizards a B for this trade. You know, it was a good move, good way to upgrade their bench. Next on the list. The Atlanta Hawks trade Tiago Splitter to the Philadelphia 76ers for Arison Ilyasova and a future second round pick. Yeah. This deal to me, I, I really don't know. You know, I guess Philly was just trying to unload some of the depth that they have at the forward position, you know, with the log jam that they do have. I mean, I looked at J- Jaleel Okafor last night. He played against the Knicks, played pretty well. They got rid of um, Nerlens Noel, which I was going to get to next. Um, they still have uh, uh, Joel Embiid there. You know, you got to trust the process, you know. And, um, yeah, I guess that Philly is trying to clean house to, you know, prepare for their future. Circled around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And uh, a current, the current uh, draft pick that they have coming up in this draft. So the Sixers are in good position. They're on their way. They're on their way out of the rebuild situation, and things are looking up for Philly. So, you know, this grade, I really can't give you anything great for. This is a C. You know, you just had to make some moves just for the sake of making moves and clearing space and some of the log jams that you have for some of the young players that you do have. For Atlanta, this I, I really don't know what this trade does for them because Ilyasova, I, you know, he's still going to be playing behind, you know, the forwards that they have in Atlanta. You know, Paul Millsap, you know, you got the White Howard there. I mean, I guess he's an insurance policy off the bench, but this move doesn't make the, the Hawks any better. They lost some size in getting rid of Tiago Splitter, so that means that he didn't fit in in the plans of what they were doing in Atlanta. I don't know what he's going to do in Philadelphia, but it remains to be seen. So, Atlanta, you also get a C from me because I really don't see, you know, what this deal is going to do to make your team and your product any better moving forward. Next on the list, Philadelphia Sixers again made a deal with the Dallas Mavericks to send Nerlens Noel to the Mavericks for Andrew Bogut, Justin Anderson, and a top 18 protected first round pick. There we go again, you know, you know the, the, the Sixers are compiling those draft picks, man, because it looks like they're going to be busy come draft night because, you know, they have more than enough young players. I think they're going to compile these draft picks that they're, they're getting to use that as a way to get some type of veteran leader in to help with the young core of players that they have in Philly. And, you know, 
I believe in the Colangelos. I think they know what they're doing in Philly, man. They're headed in the right direction. And, you know, even though it's a top 18 protected first-round pick, it's still a first-round pick. You can get a nice little role player anywhere in this draft, you know, because this draft is really, to me, a one-man draft with a bunch of other guys that have potential and can be some great role players. And when I say one-man draft, I'm saying Lonzo Ball. To me, he's the only one that's NBA-ready right now that can step in and have an immediate impact on the franchise. Yes, I'm saying it here first. I mean, I don't think that he's a fluke at all. Far from it. You know, he, he, he definitely, definitely has a lot of Jason Kidd in him, and I see him helping any situation that he gets into in the NBA. I'm just hoping that it's here in New York, baby, for the Knicks, man. Praying for those ping pong balls, man. Phil Jackson, you keep on tanking and doing what you do, man, because we need we need a, a star point guard here in New York. And, you know, it's not Derrick Rose. No no, no shade. But um, it's like I said, this draft is a, a, a one-man draft, but it's a bunch of good role players and guys that can develop into something, you know, down the line. Hmm. Next on the list, the Toronto Raptors trade Jared Sullinger and two second-round picks for P.J. Tucker from the Phoenix Suns. You know, this deal, you know, I think that, you know, Toronto is benefiting from this because of Tucker's defense. You know, I think that he'll help them come playoff time. He's not a LeBron stopper, so we can we – can, throw that statement out the window like he's not there to stop LeBron he's there to stop other people but he's not stopping LeBron P.J. Tucker is not that type of guy you know he may get under Carmelo Anthony's skin from time to time but he's not stopping LeBron so that's not the answer Toronto I give you an E for effort you know get an E for effort and you get a C for this trade because you know you got rid of Jared Selinger who really did nothing for you he was injured for a majority of the season Really didn't play. I think that his career is pretty much over. I think that Phoenix is probably going to end up cutting him when everything is said and done and going their own ways and cutting their losses. So, you know, P.J. Tucker and and two second-round picks, you know, that was that was a great move on Toronto's part. And like I said, Messiah Jerry, man, he's a shrewd guy, man. He's a very shrewd GM, and that's the kind of GM you need in your front office, man. He gets the most out of every pick that he makes in comparison to Phil Jackson, but I'll get to him later because his track record is terrible so far as a, as a president, you know, and it's a joke. Next on the list, the Houston Rockets trade Tyler Ennis to the LA Lakers for cap space. You know, Tyler Ennis is definitely one of those kids that should have stayed in college and worked on his game, but a lot of people was in his ear on the outside that kind of made him make that decision to jump to the NBA sooner than he should have. And right now he's showing that, you know, it pays to stay in school, you know? He definitely wasn't ready for the bright lights of the NBA as of yet. And the fact that he's bouncing around, he's not going to get that opportunity to really do so. Now, bringing him to the Lakers, I don't know what, what, their, what their plans are, but Last I checked, they still do have D'Angelo Russell, so Tyler Ennis is definitely going to be, you know, third, fourth option at point guard off the bench for the Lakers moving forward. 
Atlanta, again, they traded Mike Scott to the Phoenix Suns for cashing a protected second-round pick. You know, again, you know, I don't know what the Hawks are doing. You know, I guess they're freeing up cap space. They may be trying to make a run at somebody during the offseason. You know, who knows? But, um, you know, these moves, while it doesn't hurt their core players, these are guys that did come in and play roles at some particular time. So moving on from those guys um, is a clear indication that they're probably setting up for something big in the offseason. I don't know what that is, but, you know, it's probably setting up for something big in the offseason. And one of the last moves that happened before the trade deadline, and I think this may be a decent move for for the Nets. You have the Houston Rockets trading K.J. McDaniels to the Brooklyn Nets for cap space, which isn't a bad deal. That's a young player, athletic player. I think that he can actually come in and challenge for a starting position at shooting guard or small forward right now as that team is currently constructed, you know? So... K.J. McDaniels is a very athletic guy. You know, I think that he looks like he'll enjoy the New York lifestyle. You know, kind of fits Brooklyn, too. You know, you look at him, you be like, hey, he's a tough dude, man. Tough young kid, very athletic, didn't get his chance in Philadelphia, who he was drafted by, went to Houston, didn't get much playing time there. And I think now that he's in Brooklyn, he'll get a chance to really showcase his skills on a team that doesn't have a bunch of stars and big name players ahead of him. So he'll get his fair chance and his fair shot. If it doesn't work here in Brooklyn, his career may sadly be over. Kudos to the Nets for making the opportunities. At least Sean Marks is there trying to make something happen and not just sitting back, relaxing and collecting that check like some other presidents and GMs here in New York. You know, I'm not going to get to that, but we're going to get to that soon. All right, switching lanes. You know, we just talked about, you know, trades and some of the moves that were made. And um, as I was saying, a lot of drama has been going on outside of the basketball court and in the front offices. And namely, one of the biggest controversies this, this week was the news that Magic Johnson took over president of basketball operations for the Lakers organization. You know... I look at it as that's a brilliant move because, you know, just listening to Magic talk about today's game and the young players, he clearly has an understanding and a grasp on what's going on in the world today of basketball. Whereas other people like Phil Jackson are still stuck in the 90s and how things used to be when he was a coach and, you know, he he fails to really move on from that that era of basketball. I don't get that when I hear Magic Johnson talk about the players of today and the way that he analyzes the game. So to me, I think that Magic Johnson will be a great fit in LA. You know what I mean? What I liked about when he first got the position, he said his first call was gonna be to Kobe Bryant, which was genius, you know what I mean? Who knows what role Kobe would play you know, in the Lakers organization as an exec. But Magic's thinking on this is that, listen, man, Kobe's a winner. He can definitely relate to a lot of these players that looked up to him. You know what I mean? And he knows what it takes to win. So Magic is already coming into this position, understanding what it takes to build 
a competitive basketball team and the type of mentality that you need to have around you to have a successful basketball culture. And that's what I respect about Magic Johnson. Now, on the other hand, you know, other guys like Phil Jackson came in with the mindset of me, me. I won 11 championships. You know what I mean? Magic doesn't come off that way to me. And that's what I like about Magic Johnson. Now, you had some other sports talk hosts that shared their opinion on Magic on Magic Johnson getting a job as a Lakers president, namely Dan Levitard. And I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I'm, I, I listen to Dan Levitard in the morning. And, you know, I'm just going to say it like this, man. I don't think that he's a racist person at all. So I'm not even going to attack this 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 uh, topic with the racist remarks or racist undertones or anything of that nature because at the end of the day, Dan Levitar, to me, I don't get that from him as of him being a racist person. Sometimes he does say controversial things, but that's done strategically because he is a great writer and he's been, you know, on the airwaves for many years and he's done tons of shows and I respect his craft and what he does. But I will say this. In the manner where he uh, addressed Magic Johnson, to me was a little bit um, unfair and maybe biased on his part. I don't know. You know, he, he doesn't have any type of horse in the race. But to me, it just seems like it was more discrediting than being optimistic. You know what I mean? For him to point out that Magic Johnson has failed in other ventures outside of playing on the basketball court was false. That was a flat out false accusation now. Has Magic Johnson failed as a coach? Yes. For the Los Angeles Lakers, absolutely he did. Failed as a coach. Now all of the attacking of Magic Johnson about being a sportscaster and show host and all of this stuff and he failed, to me that doesn't have anything to do with basketball. And I think that Levitard was wrong for coming out and saying it in that manner. Because when you look at Magic Johnson as an executive, Starbucks, you know, Magic Johnson movie theaters, he's a, a, a partial owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are doing well, by the way. You know, I think that Levitard was pretty unfair and inaccurate in most of his assessment. You know what I mean? He can say Magic did fail on different levels of basketball outside of actually playing and lacing up his sneakers. But as far as Magic and as an executive, Magic is very successful as an executive. And I think that, you know, that's what made people attack Levitard as a racist because he made it seem like he tried to make Magic Johnson seem like he got the job by just having a great personality and smiling and hey, that's my man, like token, like he's a token or something. Like, nah, I think that Magic really has great knowledge of the game and he understands what it takes to build a team and not for nothing his first move as you know um president of basketball operations was a shrewd move you moved lou williams and got a first round draft pick and a great defensive player in corey brewer for lou williams who you know was a piece on your team that you have many of. 
And I like the comment that he said after he made the move is like, you know, looking at the roster, we have a lot of guys that do the same thing, which is true. You look at uh, Lou Williams, he's a scoring shooting guard. He's a scoring guard that can play point guard as well. You look at D'Angelo Russell, same thing, scoring guard. You know what I mean? You look at, uh, uh, what's his name, Swaggy P, same thing, scoring guards. Jordan Clarkson, scoring athletic guards. So they had a bunch of players that had the same skill set and redundant. So for you to be able to move Lou Williams or your first deal and get back something of real value shows that his mind is ready for, you know, an ex- the executive role of basketball operations for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, moving along, you know, there was a question asked earlier in the week on Sports Talk Radio about who would possibly, who would probably be the better executive between Phil Jackson and Magic Johnson. And just breaking down that trade that I just said, in comparison to Phil Jackson's first trade, hands down, it's Magic Johnson. Phil Jackson, when he first came to the Knicks again, this is the, the difference between his mentality and Magic Johnson's mentality. Phil Jackson came here by himself. You know what I mean? He came here with this whole high and mighty uh, attitude of, well, I won 13 rings in total, 11 as a coach. But, you know, you had arguably the greatest players on the planet on your teams, and you didn't build those teams. You know, he came in with all the fancy basketball talk about, you know, footwork and, you know, pieces being able to fit and all of this nonsense, but the pieces that he's talking about fitting are to his system that he ran as a coach, not as an executive, you know what I mean? And that's what drives me and a lot of other people crazy because he lives and dies with this whole triangle offense as the end all, be all to everything. And he basically neutered the coach in Jeff Hornacek by forcing him to teach principles of the triangle, which nobody else in the NBA is, is playing right now. So for him to come in and insist that anybody that he coaches has to teach the triangle, look, he brought in Derek, Derek Fisher, who ran point guard for him for those um, dynasty years for the Lakers. Derek Fisher even was saying that, look, man, we got to kind of shy away and break away from strictly running triangle offense. Nobody is using that offense and if you don't have the proper players to make it work, it's not going to work. But Phil, again, is insisting on making the triangle work here in New York. And that's what separates him from Magic Johnson immediately. Magic isn't coming in saying, well, we got to go Showtime, baby. This is what, what this is what got me them championships in the 80s. You know, Magic isn't coming in with that mentality. Magic has the wherewithal and understanding to know that, you know, that style of play was good in my era. Today, everybody's athletic. Everybody's fast. Everybody can run and jump. That, everybody in this league can do. The league is much more athletic than it was in the 80s. You know what I mean? The skills, that's another thing. You know, fundamentals, that's a whole nother thing. That's why I'm not against the NBA putting in an age limit again and raising the bar. You got to at least do two years in school. Somewhere to learn the fundamentals of the game because the game is definitely suffering right now you look at some of these games and look at some of these players and you wonder like where did they learn to play basketball at you know like uh kg said man 
AAU is destroying, you know, the sport because a lot of these kids come in with the mentality of, oh, it's me, me, me. It's all about me. It's all about me. They're already worried about sneaker deals and, you know, their brand when they're in high school. It's kind of crazy. But back to what I was talking about, man. As far as Magic and Phil, Magic already separated itself as understanding the lay of the land as an executive, whereas Phil Jackson has yet to understand that that difference. You know what I mean? The game is different. Players are rebelling against it, and yet you still want to teach it. When I break down their first trades and first moves, when you look at Magic's move, the first move was get rid of Lou Williams, in return get a 2017 first-round pick, and Corey Brewer. That's going to help the team instantly. You know what I mean? Because, again, you got rid of a redundant piece and you brought in a defensive player to help your team on defense. And, by the way, Corey Brewer is a winner. And you got a 2017 pick. Even though it may not be a lottery pick, you're still getting a serviceable player at that position. You know what I mean? And when you look at Phil Jackson's first move, his first move as president of basketball operations here in New York, was he got rid of Tyson Chandler, brought in Samuel Dallenbeer, and Jose Calderon. That was his first move, which was an epic, epic, epic failure. Jose Calderon was terrible on defense. He couldn't guard anybody at all. And he wasn't even making the team better. Like his, his thing was that he's a heady point guard that can shoot. You know, he gets people to ball. He's a, a great facilitator. He did none of that here. Samuel Dallenbeer was released shortly after that trade. You know what I mean? You, you broke up the nucleus of the Knicks, and that made it to a playoffs before you even got there, and you brought us back turmoil. You brought us back guys that aren't helping the team at all. And Jose Calderon was a terrible deal for Tyson Chandler when you look at it because that's what it was. It was a deal for Calderon and his money and Tyson Chandler's contract. Samuel D'Alembert was a throw-in and a throwaway player that Dallas had no use for. And they said, hey, New York, you take our problem off our hands now. We'll take Tyson Chandler, though. Just comparing those two moves already just shows you the difference in mentality between Phil Jackson and Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson has yet to make a second move. I mean, we'll see what he can do in the offseason. But right now, just based off that move, he already made the Lakers a better team. He's getting them extra assets in June, you know, July during, you know, the NBA draft. And he brought in somebody that can help the defensive culture, you know, moving forward in Corey Brewer if he decides to even stay in L.A. or if they decide to keep him or not. You look at Phil Jackson's second move as an executive. Second, in th yeah, second move. He traded J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert for a future uh, second round draft pick. You mean to tell me that you couldn't get anything better for J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert than a future 2017 draft pick? Look at the top of the show when I was explaining what most teams got for players. You know, most teams traded players like, like let's just say the Nets for instance. They were able to trade Boron Bogdanovich and Chris McCullough to Washington 
for a couple of players and a first-round pick in this year's draft. How is it that Phil Jackson was able to give away two serviceable role players that played on the championship, eventual championship team, Cleveland Cavaliers, and got nothing in return, basically? You look at his next move. He traded away Tim Hardaway Jr., who's flourishing right now in Atlanta, for the draft rights to Jerry and Grant. Now everybody says, well, Jerry and Grant, you know, where is Jerry and Grant right now? Jerry and Grant was packaged in a deal that Phil made with Chicago to send Jerry and Grant and Robin Lopez for Derrick Rose. <laughs> How did that work out so far, Phil? You know what I mean? I'm really looking at I'm really looking at all the moves that Phil Jackson has made as a president of basketball operations here and it's starting to just look like, you know, his end game all along while making these moves was to basically frustrate Carmelo Anthony to the point where you, if anything, if 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 it doesn't work, Carmelo could be your automatic scapegoat because you gave him $124 million in a no-trade clause. That's all people are going to remember is Carmelo Anthony got his no-trade clause and $124 million. Nobody's looking at the fact that Carmelo Anthony sat down with this man, heard what his plan was before he signed the $124 million deal to discuss the direction of the team and whether or not Carmelo is on board with trying to move forward with the Knicks. Nobody's looking at that. All people are looking at now is that Carmelo Anthony has a no trade clause. You know, and it sucks because... At the end of the day, this man signed up to stay here. This man wanted to come here from day one. This man had all intentions of being, you know, a leader of a team that he wanted to win a championship for, genuinely. His wife's favorite team is the New York Knicks. You think that he doesn't want to see it work here? Like, come on, people. Like, I listen to some of these analysts on the radio. You know, they sit there and ridicule this man like, you know, he's wrong for not wanting to waive his no trade clause. No, he holds the power. I give, I give, I commend any athlete that controls their destiny. Because at the end of the day, whenever a team doesn't want you anymore, guess what? They're not thinking of the well-being of your family. They're not looking at the fact that you have a young son or young kids that's happy to see you every day, that see you playing on TV. They're not looking at that. They're looking at, oh, championships, wins and losses, more stories, more things to talk about. You know what, Carmelo Anthony is a genius. You want to know why I say he's a genius? Not just the fact that he negotiated a no-trade clause or that 15% trade kicker in his contract if he's moved. You know how much money that is, too? He basically made it very, very difficult to move him. You know what I mean? Regardless of what, he's a chess player. He thought this out very strategically, and he thought it out very well. You know what I mean? And he's also... Not falling for the okie doke of, oh, you know what? Uh, you don't want me here, I'm going to go. Like, no, because he knows that if he goes to a team of his of whatever his alleged choices were, Clippers or, or, the, or the Cavs, it's no shooing that they're going to win. It's no shooing that they're going to beat the Golden State Warriors. So now the narrative becomes, oh, look at Carmelo. Phil Jackson did him a favor, gave him a no-trade clause. He waived his no-trade clause to go to a team that he wanted to be on, and the team still failed with him there. See, he's a loser. He's not a team player. Look, teams that he played for everywhere 
actually get worse when he's there and they get better when he leaves. He's not stupid. He knew that this would be the narrative either way you put it. Any way you slice it, he's going to be the loser. At any way you slice it. So I commend Carmelo Anthony for sticking to his guns, saying, Phil, you're not running me out of here. You're going to probably leave before me. And he's letting the chips fall where they may. I respect Carmelo for that, man. Look how he played last night. At least he comes to work and performs every day. People are acting like he just sits there and does nothing. He comes out every game as a professional. At the end of the game, sits there, answers all the tough questions that they ask him. Where's Phil Jackson at? Why isn't Phil as answering these questions? That's a question that the president should answer. I shouldn't have to stand up here in front of you and answer these questions that the president should answer. And that's another thing that I don't like about Phil Jackson. When he first came here and he had no ties to anybody on this roster, he didn't bring any of these players in. He was all lips then, all lip service. He could sit there and tell you everything about the team, how clumsy the roster is, talk about footwork's mechanic and the winning culture and what it takes to win. Like he was able to do all of that. But now that you built this team, you're nowhere to be found. And your star players taking all the slings and arrows because you gave him $124 million and a no-trade clause that he negotiated. You know what I mean? He was smart enough to say, you know what, man? I'm going to trust you, but I need some insurance on my end, too. You know what I mean? I need some insurance on my end as well. You know, yes, I'm a businessman at the end of the day. Yes, I do care about my brand, but I do care about winning as well. And the one thing you're not going to paint me as is a loser. And Carmelo Anthony did a masterful job of getting his money, having his brand, and dictating where he could eventually end up at season's end or whenever he feels like it. I don't I don't knock him one bit for that because if he didn't have a no, no trade clause, They'll send them somewhere to Puerto Rico if Puerto Rico had a team right now, if they could get the best assets for the organization. So for him to get his, I don't knock him. I don't knock him at all. Any, and any of you sportscasters and analysts who sit there and want to label him as, oh, he's a loser and he doesn't care. And it, uh, for sports, it's all about winning. Okay, it's all about winning. It is all about winning. Who's saying that it's not all about winning? He's trying to win and do what's right by his family at the same token so instead of knocking him and trying to turn the fans against him you need to basically support him if you don't support him don't say anything that's that man's situation you know what i mean he made the system work for him live with it you know for real people out here wanting him to be treated like herd and cattle like you go wherever your team wants you to go no i don't know i made these people millions of dollars I deserve to control my destiny. And life for me is bigger than basketball. And at the end of the day, I'm content with where I am today. You know what I mean? I definitely did what I had to do as a player. And this is Carmelo's thinking. He did what he had to do as a player. And and I respect him for not being one of those players that's going to run and jump ship and jump on somebody else's bandwagon to get a championship. Come on, man. Winners don't do that. You know what I mean? If you couldn't win by your own merit... You couldn't do it on your own or with, 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 with the team riding on your back. I wouldn't want to jump on nobody else's coattails either. Because all the first thing they're going to say is, oh, it took for him to go play with LeBron, go play with LeBron, play with LeBron and get him a championship. Or he had to go with Chris Paul. Like, it won't be, oh, Melo took that team over the top by going there. 
It would be, oh, he needed this person. So any way you slice it, Carmelo Anthony's going to be the victim, and I respect him for the way that he handled this whole situation as a pro. You know what I mean? But back to Phil Jackson, man, and Magic Johnson. Based off of Phil Jackson's track record thus far with the trades and the moves that he's made, bought in Joe Kim Noah, gave him $72 million. <laughs> 72 million for Joe Kim Noah. Let, let me let that set in for a second. 72 million for Joe Kim Noah. 42 million for Courtney Lee. Over 30 million for Kylo Quinn. You got Derrick Rose here on a one-year deal, basically. You didn't move him at the traded deadline. And another thing, you out there putting guys' names in trade rumors, the media is running with it. Oh, Ricky Rubio for Derrick Rose. Ricky Rubio for Derrick. That's all you heard for the past three, four days before the deadline. Ricky Rubio for Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is going to reunite with Tom Thibodeau. It's like, why would you put players through that? You know what I mean? Only to ultimately not be ready to make a deal. You know, rumors are that Phil wasn't even be, he wasn't even able to be contacted when it was time to really crunch the numbers and get the deal going. You know what I mean? So it's like he's playing mind games with the players, playing mind games with other execs. It's like he's just making a mockery of this whole position. And to me, it's like a mental game of chess between him and James Dolan because he now he realizes what James Dolan put him in and got him to commit to. Fine, okay, you want to take everything off my shoulders? Hey, go ahead, it's your team, Phil. You got to deal with the backlash from the fans. Not me. You got to deal with it. I'm paying you $60 million for that. By the way, I thought that you would want to coach, but you don't want to coach. You don't want to hurt your legacy on that end either. So you take these slings and arrows and you come and tell me when you're ready to basically call it quits. And I hope that he calls it quits this summer. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of Dolan probably had a hand in the Knicks not making any deals at the trade deadline as well. Because the way that the things are going out, I wouldn't trust Phil Jackson to try to rebuild my team. With the way that things look and the people that he bought in, he did more damage than good. Because you, you got an unmovable contract in Joe Kim Noah. I'm guessing they're going to force him to retire early and give back some of that money because right now it's highway robbery. You know what I mean? And no disrespect to Joe Kim. I love your heart, brother. But right now, your legs and, and feet are telling you another thing. Unless you get some miracle surgery that can help revitalize your legs and your feet it's time to call it quits bro next paul george la lakers bound you know this is again what i'm talking about the magic johnson effect this wouldn't even be a conversation if magic johnson wasn't at the helm in la man you know just the fact that that was even discussed during the trade deadline showed you that people respect Magic Johnson as an executive. You know, nobody respected Phil Jackson as an executive. None of the stars actually came and sat down and talked to Phil Jackson about coming to New York. Nobody, nobody. He got Derrick Rose via trade. No real free agents. LaMarcus Aldridge, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Nobody came and sat with this man. That speaks volumes, man. That speaks volumes, man. So ultimately, that's why I said Magic Johnson will be head and shoulders better than Phil Jackson as an executive moving forward. 
And just like I said, based off that one move that Magic made, he's already put the team on the right track to being good. You know? The Knicks standing pat at the trade deadline. Again, it goes back to me with, you know, I'm thinking Dolan behind the scenes is telling Phil, look, if you don't plan on being here, don't make any more moves. Don't make a mess for anybody else to come in. You had your chance to build this team. You failed at it. You know what I mean? And and, and let me just say this to all of you delusional Knicks fans who think that the Knicks are better off without Carmelo Anthony and the team being in Chris Stapp's Porzingis' hand. Look at this season. Look at how injury-prone Chris Stapp's Porzingis has been the past two years. You know, to me, he's not a franchise player. He's a nice piece. He's not a franchise player. He's not a Carl Anthony Towns. He's not a Carmelo Anthony. He's not a LeBron James. He's not a Chris Paul. He's not a Kawhi Leonard. He's not a franchise player yet. And the way that his makeup is right now, I don't see him being one, to be honest with you. The way that his game is structured, he's going to hurt himself. He's too tall to patent his game the way that he's patent. He's seven foot three. He's trying to run around and do things that a guy 6'3 does. He's not a power forward. He's not a center. He's, he's a shooting guard, small forward trapped in a center's body. And that explains his injuries. And, and I'm also one of the conspiracy theorists that think that signing that Adidas contract kind of hurt him too. Because if you look at those Adidas sneakers in comparison to the Mambas that he was playing in last year, it's a big difference. <clears throat> now you're hearing about his Achilles and all of this other stuff bothering him. Again, he's seven foot three. He's trying to put the ball on the floor against six footers, getting stripped, falling all over the place. He's getting exposed on defense. He can't guard big men. He can't stay in front of small guys. Kristaps Porzingis isn't the answer, Nick fans. He's not. He's a good piece. He's a good piece to have. But anytime you have your seven footer on a perimeter, seventy percent of the time throughout the game. It's either two things. He's looking to shoot, he's settling, and you're definitely not getting any rebounds from him. He should be averaging a double-double as a 7-3 guy. And he doesn't. That's the reality. People want to run Carmelo Anthony out of town and see the team run through Kristaps Porzingis, run through him how? He stays on the perimeter. He floats on the perimeter too much. He's turning into the typical soft European player that everybody said that he might end up being when he was drafted. This is why people were booing. Because that that stigma and that that reputation of European guys being soft. No disrespect. No pun intended. No disrespect. It's no type of racial undertone or anything. But a majority of the Euro European guys like playing above the perimeter out on the perimeter. And Porzingis is slowly but surely falling into that category. Every time you see him, he's over the three-point line. He gets the ball on the box. He ends up getting pushed out of position back to the perimeter. He tries to go around smaller guys. He gets stripped, twists his ankle, or he falls awkwardly, ends up hurting himself, and then now he's out four, five, six games. Nick fans, be careful what you ask for. You should be happy that Carmelo Anthony is here covering all the floors of Chris Stapps for Zingas. He's not ready yet. Uh, San Antonio didn't throw Kawhi Leonard into the fire immediately. 
they gave him a good two to three seasons to learn the NBA, to learn what it takes to be the man from watching Tim Duncan and Tony du- and Tony Parker. They didn't just hear Kawhi, it's your team. It's a process, man. Trust the process. You know what I mean? Nick fans are too eager for Carmelo Anthony to be moved. What are you getting in return for him? You got to remember this guy's contract is ridiculous. $25 million this year. 26 this year, 27 his final year. Close to 30 million. What are you getting back in return for him? You're not getting young assets. You're not getting draft picks. Not any good ones, at least. Nobody's giving up or mortgaging their future for Carmelo Anthony at this stage of his career. I'm sorry. It's not happening. So, this whole pipe dream of move Carmelo, rebuild, do this, that, and the third. Rebuild around who? Porzingis? The team would be 10 times worse. Without him. And he can't handle it. He said it. He can't even live here without Melo being. He can't even imagine it without having Melo here. And quite frankly, he's not ready. Willie Hernan Gomez is good too. But again, these players are not ready, man. They're not ready to take over the NBA team. And like I said, the next Knicks draft pick, hopefully it's the number one overall pick, is going to be the franchise player. It's not Kristaps Porzingis. I'm sorry. It's not. He's not a he's not a franchise guy. He's a 7-3 guy that can shoot and dribble the ball and looks cool. Call him a unicorn. And to me, I think that, you know, he started reading his own headlines too early, in my opinion. He started believing everything that everybody's saying. You know what I mean? It's cool to have confidence in your ability, but once you start feeding into it and listening to it, you can tell. His whole demeanor changed. You know, he has Twitter fingers now. <laughs> he put up a post the other day, a little cryptic, and he took it right down. So, you know, it's infectious, man. Bad habits are infectious. And a lot of the Knicks' problems and turmoil, which ultimately led to no moves being made during the uh, trade deadline, all stems from the coach and Phil Jackson. And I mean, and the coach and on a second, a president and Phil Jackson. I don't know what the Knicks' plans are. I don't know the direction that they're going in. But, you know, Derrick Rose, you know, <laughs> he sees that there's no real market for him. And right now, I'm going to be honest with you Derrick Rose isn't even top 10 point guards in the league anymore. You know what I mean? Just looking around the league at how these players are are adapting to the athleticism. They're playing defense. They're shooting threes. And they're finding their man, getting getting their guys involved. Derrick Rose doesn't fit in that category anymore. I mean, yeah, he still has flashes of, of quickness. And not only he gets to the basket whenever he wants, but he's not making anybody better around him. And... The Knicks need a dish first point guard. Now, don't get me wrong. When when the Knicks first made this move, I was charged. I was happy. I'm like, man, yes. Finally, we can do some damage now. We got another player to throw alongside. Carmelo, it hasn't worked at all whatsoever. You know, the fact that he left and went back to Chicago and didn't let the team know, that just shows that you're unreliable. I, I, I defended him early on again. I still stand by that. We don't know what he was going through. So I'm not going to ridicule him for that. But the team and the fans will never forget that. 
Then, right before the trade deadline, you started criticizing the offense. So are you really happy here, or is it that you want your money? Keep it 100. You know, I would want my money, hell yeah. I'll say whatever I say to get my money, but this ain't, this isn't that type of town, bro. Get your money and then be miserable and then try to request a trade to somebody that's not going to want to take on your contract. You know, it's not that type of game anymore, and I don't think that the Knicks need to fall in line with that. Now, if they do, for some wild reason, bring Derrick Rose back, then you immediately have to change the coach. And when I say change the coach, ultimately you're going to have to give it to the president too. You know what I mean? Because the the good candidates that are out there and still available, Phil Jackson didn't even want to talk to, which is just asinine to me because you want to talk to the best candidates available. That's experience, that know the game, that see the game every day and understand these players. And for the life of me, I don't understand why Mark Jackson was never in consideration to Phil Jackson. I know why Jeff Van Gundy wasn't because he coached against Van Gundy and he has this little weird uh, stigma with him about Jeff Van Gundy. You know what I mean? They're buttheads. Jeff Van Gundy wouldn't be a puppet and he also knows that Mark Jackson wouldn't be his puppet. But ultimately, if you keep Derrick Rose, you need to bring up a coach like Mark Jackson in to coach this team. I think that he'll get the most out of his players. I think that the players will instantly respect him and he won't be afraid to challenge guys. You know what I mean? That's what I like about Mark Jackson. He's a very motivational guy. You know what I mean? And he's a point guard. So I think that he'll work wonders with Derrick Rose if they were to keep Derrick Rose. That's the only way I keep Derrick Rose if you bring in a Mark Jackson. Mellow, he's in a mellow mood and he should be. You know what I mean? Trade deadline is over. He can finally go back to living his life. You know, worrying about his family, worrying about his businesses. Still coming to work every day producing, though. You know, I don't see that as a distraction to him. To me, it looks like the team itself failed him. You know what I mean? Joe Kim Noah's still out. Brandon Jennings hot and cold, up and down. Courtney Lee, same way. Derrick Rose, same way. The other guys, KP, injury prone. Kuzminskis, one day he's in, the other day he's not. Lance Thomas just dumps the fire. That's another guy that got a, a, a big contract, 20-something million for four years. You know what I mean? Like, guys like him are the reason why I say Phil Jackson should go. You know what I mean? Because, you know, he wasted a lot of money, man. Nobody wanted to take the Knicks money, so he spent it on guys that were initially thought of as one-year fill-in players until you get some stars here. And now we're stuck. We're stuck. We had Chase and Randall. Let him go. You know what I mean? Alexi Shred. He didn't want to come back. I liked Shred last year. You know, he actually he actually did well for the Knicks, but he turned them down. So that says a lot, man, about Phil Jackson and his way of doing things, man. And, and the way that he has the Knicks looking, they are in worse shape than they were when he wasn't here. You know what I mean? He needs to step down. The Knicks need to look at qualified guys like Joe Dumas, like I've been saying for months now. You know what I mean? I even heard Stephen A. co-signing and talking about Joe Dumas when he got to the topic of, you know, people criticizing Magic Johnson, not giving him a chance. He brought up guys like Joe Dumas. Like, why isn't Joe Dumas uh, considered for any jobs? This man took 
the Pistons to four straight conference finals. You know what I mean? Built a nice team. The bad years were bad years. It happens. But it doesn't warrant him not having a job right now. And I think that that should be New York's next target. And I think that they need to hire Mark Jackson moving forward. You know what I mean? That's just my personal opinion and, and thoughts on things. You know, they, they go whatever direction they want to. I'm just a radio personality, podcast personality, speaking my opinions on the current state of the Knicks. KP, again, you know, he, he's injury prone. It's not the ankle. It's stomach virus, hamstrings, you know what I mean? Sore, sore shins, shoulder, rookie wall. He's not ready, man. I'm sorry, Knicks fans. Kiss Kristaps Porzingis is not ready to carry the reins here in New York. I don't care how much you fell in love with him or the fact that he wasn't your typical European player like everybody thought he would be, but he's clearly not ready to be the face of the franchise. Of course, the NBA is working with him because it's good for business. He's from Latvia. So you want other international players to look at him and say, oh, I can be like Kristaps Porzingis. But the fact of the matter is, he's just a decent piece. He's a good piece. He'll be like an Andre Karolinko. Was never a franchise player, but was a decent role player for the team that he played on, which was the Jazz. That's what Kristaps Porzingis is. He's an Andre Karolinko. He's not a Dirk Nowitzki. He's not carrying a team. He's not carrying a franchise. I'm sorry. I looked at him enough to see. You know, at the beginning of the year, I was on my high horse saying, Oh, Porzingis is better than Towns. He's better than anybody in that draft class. Man, have I eaten my words. He's far from that, man. He's far from it. I don't see him getting any better than what he is now. Until he develops a post game, puts some more muscle on, and stops settling for jump shots, Chris Stapps Porzingis is going to be eventually your typical European player. End up like a Darko Milicic or an Andrea Bargnani. Played decent for a few years. Get a couple of contracts, go back to your country, and live happily ever after. Right now, it's not looking good. It's definitely not looking good. <laughs> man, man, I just seen something that's so crazy, man. And this is my thing, man. This is why a lot of people look at the NBA and look at LeBron James as, bro, what do you need, an all-star team? Like, It's like they're trying to basically paint this legacy for this man. You know, the other day, Deron Williams uh, was waived by the Dallas Mavericks. What a coincidence. You know, LeBron has been crying for a point guard, a backup point guard for the longest that can facilitate because he so-called is getting older. So what happens? Dallas mysteriously lets Deron Williams go, waves him. Guess what? Oh, LeBron, we're going to sign Deron Williams. They signed Deron Williams now. Now, Andrew Bogut is expected to wait, uh, be waived by the Philadelphia 76ers. That's no, that's no secret. I kind of knew that that was coming because that move didn't make any sense knowing that Joel Embiid is there. So Bogut really had no future there, and the team is losing. So now that Bogut is about to be let go, guess what team he's about to go to? Oh, you guessed it, the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's like, come on, man. The narrative of the NBA is just so terrible right now. It's like WWE. It's like, come on, man. 
Come on, how many guys do they need to put around LeBron James, man? Like, it's not even funny. Like, the NBA Finals is going to be so dry, man. It's like, it's like, come on, man. Now you're going to getting players from the former team, the team that beat you. Like, come on, man. What are you doing? What are you doing out here? You know what I mean? I don't, I, I hate that, man. That just ruined my whole mood, man. I hate seeing that. It's like, come on, there's so many other teams out there that can use bogus services, but you just want to jump on a bandwagon of, of, of LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers to win another championship. How much money is Dan Gilbert really paying? Woo! That man is paying out of his behind for these players. Come on, these guys are being cut and then they coming all of a sudden now available for Cleveland to sign. Like, come on, it's just disgusting, man. I don't respect that, man. It's like... The NBA, man, they need to do something with that, man. They should allow only a certain amount, uh, amount of acquisitions per team. Because this is not leveling the playing field at all. And it sucks. It definitely sucks, and I hate it, man. But anyway, next on the list. <laughs> We're going to get to some of the juicy stuff now. Shaquille O'Neal versus JaVale McGee. Now, everybody knows and everybody sits and talks about Shaq and the Fool, man. Shaq and the Fool, man. That is one hilarious segment on TNT. It's gotten so big that, you know, Shaq, you know, he got his own channel, YouTube, he got his own segment every time, like Shaq and the Fool, Shaq and the Fool, everywhere he goes. So his target for the past couple of weeks and months has been JaVale McGee. Apparently, the other day, Shaq had an entire segment custom-made to clown JaVale McGee. So, naturally, what does JaVale McGee do? Steps up for himself. Like, yo, come on, man. Why are you riding me? Like, why are you hating on me, Shaq? Like, chill out. Like, you know what I mean? Mind your business. Like, why are you sweating me? You know, now you know the way people beef nowadays. You know, Twitter wars, Twitter fingers. Everybody got them. Twitter fingers. So apparently, Shaq took offense to it. Like, what, little ninja? Said, JaVale McGee, don't try to play tough guy. I'll come there and slap you. Slap, man, next time I see you, it's on. <laughs> so now Shaq is on, on Twitter, you know, pretty much threatening JaVale McGee. You know, it got into a big thing now. The Golden State Warriors, you know, they had to speak to execs at Turner Sports. To kind of get Shaq to chill with the whole clown and JaVale McGee thing. Because, you know, honestly, you know, and after hearing KD defend JaVale, <laughs> it made more sense. And, you know, it kind of hit home. And, you know, Shaq is kind of wrong for doing that to the young man. Because as KD stated, you know, things like that can basically hurt a man's money. You know, nobody's going to want to invest in him. Because if you're constantly on TV making this guy look like a clown, who's going to want to invest in a clown? So KD came to his defense and KD said, and I quote, said, man, listen, Shaq had flaws. You know, he wasn't a great free throw shooter. He had, he had no outside game. He was a dominant big man. He was bigger than everybody else. And he was great for that, you know? But he said, <laughs> the kicker was, he said, yeah, you know, I didn't know that, you know, officers can threaten civilians on Twitter. Bow, bow, bow. Shots fired. 
said, I didn't know that officers can threaten civilians on Twitter. That was a headshot. You know what I mean? That was that Shaq. Now, I know that had to burn Shaq, too. You know what I mean? I know Shaq is, Shaq is a, you know, Shaq does what he does, man. But that was a headshot, and I know that he took some real offense to that. You know what I mean? He has yet to really comment on anything, and I think that, you know, the NBA probably got involved on a low two and told Shaq, like, hey, you know, can't, can't keep doing that to these young players. You know, they sensitive nowadays. You know, you can't, can't be coming out their neck like that, making them look bad. You know, it's bad for the game, blah, 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 this, that, and the third. So I'm pretty sure that Shaq is like, man, these chumps. All right, y'all want me to stop? I'll stop. But I'm pretty sure Shaq is ready to slap KD's face off as well as JaVale McGee's face off if he ever saw them. But, you know, that comment about the officer stuff was pretty funny, though. It's true, though. You know, Shaq is a sheriff or something like that somewhere down south or something, you know. Shaq and a fool. Shaq and a fool on a police force, you know. But um, let's switch gears, man, and move to another realm that, you know, it's pretty interesting, man. We're going to talk about the world of hip-hop. You know what I mean? I'm a diehard hip-hop fan. Grew up in the golden era. You know, things have changed a little bit. But can hip-hop actually be on its way back? I mean, you hear a lot of the music that's coming out now. is starting to change its tone a little bit. You know, but the battling aspect, the freestyles and everything is starting to slowly but surely come back. You know what I mean? And one of the biggest events that happened this week, well, actually yesterday, was Remy Martin basically breaking the internet for a day. Now, for those of you don't, who don't know, haven't followed, probably were living under a rock in the last 24 hours, Remy Martin finally addressed Nicki Minaj. So, you know, the rumor was that they were basically throwing subliminal shots at each other in songs, this, that, and the third, talking about who's the queen of hip-hop and all of this other nonsense. So, yesterday, Remy finally drew first blood. And her weapon of choice was the ether beat. The infamous ether beat. The beat that, Ron, the beat that ended Ron Brown's career. The one that pretty much made that beat. You know what I mean? The one that Nas allegedly, you know, lit a fire under Jay-Z. It ended his career to a degree as far as battle rapping is concerned because we know Jay is the man right now. Nobody's ending Jay's career. Jay says and does what he wants to do at the end of the day. Nobody's stopping that man from doing what he's doing. But Remy took that beat and rocked over it. Now, you know, that can't be a good look for Joe because, you know, Joe is like, damn, man, why you had to pick that beat of all beats, man? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm signing this man's management company. Why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> My opinion is, you know, of that song, it kind of reminded me of Super Ugly. Now, when I say that, in Super Ugly, that was like, at this time, that was probably Jay's third and final response, like, to the Nas this to Ether. Nas just, you know what I mean, he got in him with Ether, and Jay was rattled, and he just was just firing shots from every angle that he could. And in Super Ugly, it wasn't really the lyrical content, it was basically the cheap shots that was taken by Jay. Talking about, you know, allegedly with the baby, mama, and 
all of that. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot of low blows, and Jay even said his moms had to be like, yeah, come on. That wasn't necessary. That was uncalled for. You know what I mean? So to me, this whole Nicki Minaj, Remy Martin thing, it's falling along those same lines. And I say that because Remy Martin basically took that road of a lot of alleged stuff, things to me that probably aren't true. Some things could be true. But it was a lot of low blows and cheap shots over a classic battle beat. To me, a couple of punchlines here and there that was, you know, slick and whatever. It sounded like, you know, somebody was helping out a little bit, you know, which, you know, I, 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 I kind of got an idea of who could have been probably helping with ghostwriting and all of that stuff. Like, and, you know, a husband. Let's be real. You know what I'm saying? When I would help my wife too. Like, yo, get him, get him, girl, you know. I got you. To me, I think that if Remy, you know, I think that she took her best shot. That was, um, she let a lot of shots off with that one. Like, she didn't leave no room for a part two. And me personally, lyrically, flow, all of that, charismatic, charisma, hands down, Nicki Minaj has that over Remy Martin. A lot of people would want to say that uh, Nicki took Remy's style after Remy got locked up and this, that, and the third. I beg to differ because, honestly, Nicki has that crossover pop appeal. Remy doesn't have that appeal. Let's just get that straight. So I don't want to hear that, you know, she took Remy's style and Remy. I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. They're not even similar rap-wise. You know what I mean? But I did hear Nicki spit some bars over tracks that made me look at her like, yeah, she really got it. A lot of people don't like some of her stuff because it's a lot of bubblegum, whatever, whatever, basically pop music. But when she spits bars, she goes in. And I think if she decides to respond, she's going to finish Remy. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion as a hip-hop fan. Listening to her material and hearing her over certain things like Monster and stuff like that. People want to. People always want to talk about Ghostwriter. Half of these artists have Ghostwriter. Somebody always has somebody assisting them on something, even with beats. A lot of these producers don't do their own beats. Like, they got help. They have a person come in. All right, though, you know what? I'm not great on keys. Let me call my man, come in, lay some keys down on this. Oh, maybe, matter of fact, lay some drums down for me. You know what I mean? Everybody gets help. People sit there and act like it's supposed to be one man gang on there. If you go to any of your favorite artist albums, look at the album credits. You'll see more than two, three, four names per song. When it comes to writing compositions and, you know what I mean, production credits, like it's more than one name. Let's be real. Like everybody has some type of help. Guys give reference tracks all the time. Like, let's be real. This is, you know what I mean? This is music. A lot of people, a lot of artists don't write. They don't write their own things. They don't write their own songs. They don't write their own stuff. They pay people. That's why they have songwriters. You know what I mean? It's a music business, man. And people tend to get that part of the game misconstrued. You know what I mean? Misconstrued. It's a music business at the end of the day. And if Nicki does have a right, I'm not surprised. You know what I mean? Safari already came out and said that, you know, he used to help her out a little bit with some of her stuff. But... 
to be quite honest, I never really heard anything from him. You know what I'm saying? Like, why isn't he a star then? Like, you know what I mean? You made her into a star. You're not a star. That don't make no sense, bro. You know what I mean? Don't make no sense to me. But that's neither here nor there. But me personally, I already got a suggestion for what I think Nikki should do to make this whole battle a lot more interesting. And I give my man Rice a lot of credit, man. My man Rice down in Atlanta, man, he used to go to school with me back in the days. And, you know, we had a topic on Facebook, man, like talking about what, you know, Nikki should do. And he threw it out there, man. And once I heard it, I was like, yo, that's a brilliant idea. I hope that Nikki does it. And what he said is that, yo, she should basically take the Boogie Down Productions Bridges Over beat. And, and that beat would fit Nikki perfectly. Like, she can do her little chanting, the, you know, throwing some of that Trini accent, Jamaican chanting that she do over certain beats. And I think that she would box Remy out with that, to be honest with you. And Remy should have used that beat coming from the Bronx. You know what I mean? Because once that beat come on, once that people hear that, bat, 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 <laughs> Yo, come on, man. It's over. It's over. That's it. Like, curtains. Everything is over. And and with Nikki's flow and wittiness and delivery, she'll kill that beat. And I think that Remy will be in trouble if Nikki ever get her hands on that beat. So whoever get their hands on that beat first, you better do your thing. Because that's a classic, and it'll lead you into everything. It, it, that was like one of the most classic diss records ever. That goes down in hip-hop history as one of the greatest diss records ever, man. Like, that battle between MC Shan and KRS-One was epic, man. So, you know, if Nicki chooses to respond and she brings that beat to the table, it's over. It's over. It's over. It, it is over. You know what I mean? And I'm just happy because it took two female rappers to bring that competitiveness back to the hip-hop culture. You know what I mean? Because right now, we don't really have that. I mean, we got some great artists. A lot of these artists are great young artists, like Chance the Rapper. Like, I respect his handle. He said, man, I don't want no major deal. And the way the whole shit is structured is like, I wouldn't want one, period. I don't need one. You know what I mean? I'm not signing my rights over to everything for you. Like, I can do that myself. We live in an age of where I can promote myself. And this is how you found me. I promoted myself. So I've got to respect guys like Chance the Rapper. You know what I mean? But with this with this battle here, not even the Kendrick Lamar this to like the whole new generation of rappers was in comparison to this. This one here seems a little bit more authentic and more competitive. Even the Drake and um, Meek Mill's battle was eh, terrible. You know what I mean? That wasn't even really a battle. Like, you know... Even though Drake got it in on some joints, but that wasn't a real classic hip-hop battle. This isn't like the Locks versus D-Block. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, it, that, that wasn't like that. It, was, it wasn't too many battles like that. But these two females here kind of brought that element back. And they're like at the top of their game right now. Right now, Remy's back on top. She came home. She got that second chance. And now she's running with it. And, you know, beefing with Nikki has its benefits for Remy because people are going to start paying attention to 
Who the hell is Remy Martin? Now, if Nicki takes the high road and says, you know what, I'm too good for this. I don't need to go. My records, my sales, and everything speaks for them. That's why. That's why. You know what I'm saying? Like, for the love of the music and the hip-hop, it's just all fun and games. I mean, even though some of the things that she said about Nicki is pretty much, you can't be friends after that. You know what I mean? And I think that it was pretty whack that a lot of those alleged stuff started coming out like, you know, Nicki deciding to reach out to Trey Songs for allegedly saying stuff that insinuated that he got at Nicki and, you know what I'm saying? All of this other stuff, like, it became, like, unbelievable, man. Like I said, Remy broke the internet and the trolls were out. I'm talking about all types of memes and it's just crazy, man. The day that we live in now... Man, the internet will finish you quick, man. They will finish you quick, man. But on that note of finishing, I'm about to finish. And this wasn't a quick segment. So, to wrap it up, I am Stills the Great. This was Bars and Hoops, episode 14. If you want to follow me, follow me on Instagram at Stills the Great. That's S T double E L S. D-A-G-R-E-A-T at Instagram. Also, follow us at barsandhoops.com. That's www.bars, B-A-R-S-A-N-D-H-O-O-P-S.com. Follow us on SoundCloud at Bars and Hoops. Subscribe to us and like us on iTunes podcast at Bars and Hoops. Follow us on Twitter, Bars and Hoops. Like our page, Instagram, and on Facebook at Bars and Hoops. So on that note, life is all about balancing love and hate. You know what I mean? The key to life is making sure that the love outweighs the hate. And my name is Stills the Great. Peace.